That was uh, wait, what was the title? That was Misery Gotta Leave Man by Gordy from his album Double Stack iMac. Gordy being Gordon McQuilton, uh, who was in the Avalanches but is not anymore, but was there when they did Since I Left You. And he Back. lost his uh, Mac computers for 15 years and then found them and released the music. Got the pictures of the computers here. They look uh, grungy. They really brings me back. You, Shitty. Big. Yeah. Somebody on Reddit pointed out that those are not iMacs. Uh, perhaps you, as an Apple humper, could uh, enlighten us on. Nah, I didn't. That's true I had. I, everyone agrees that Apple's like sucked back then. So like, I had no. Ah. I did not use them then. I didn't start using gotcha. Apple's till like two thousand, like eleven. I think was probably. I see. The first time I owned one. So you're a poser Apple humper. I don't really claim to hump Apple in any <laughs> sense. I just find it. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. You yeah. might you might claim that. <clears throat> um, I'm too I I decide I have I my general approach is that I decided I was too lazy to do anything regarding like setting up my computer. Like I just fair. I just wanted to bypass that. Yeah. Process uh, for the rest of my life, and Apple has enabled that sloth. Yep. That's fair. You yeah. know, my Chromebook works out of the box pretty much. Yeah, I think a Windows doesn't probably do as much now. stuff. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Chromebooks are cool. I don't know. Um, now it's too. Late. It's great if you just want to watch videos and write on it, which is exactly what I bought it for. Yeah. Yep. Um. Uh, this is a nice, nice track by Gordy. This is what Bandcamp should be is best for. You find random stuff. You're not going to do a whole release. You just kind of throw it up there for 10 bucks. Digital yep. only. I love it. Yep. Bandcamp, uh, an indie online bastion owned by a major corporation that has not yet been uh, ritually slaughtered. Oh, no, it uh, got gutted. Profit. It got gutted recently. Its editorial team got gutted when one of their... Okay, uh, whichever, but the main thing that I wanted from Bandcamp still works. Yes, Great. but whichever.com like type tech company who owned them sold them to some much more ruthless tech company yeah. in the past year, and they uh, cut a bunch of people. So there is fear. There is fear that it will uh, begin to suck, which is... Yeah, that's be, why I didn't say it won't. Yeah. <laughs> I said it has not yet. Yes, not yet. <laughs> Um, yes, but, but yeah. I'm, I'm informing you that that the end could be. Oh yeah, not nigh. I, I I have no illusions uh, about uh, how these things go. Honestly, like Pitchfork. Uh, I, well, I, the, <laughs> I don't want to dive into my thesis just yet. Uh, on the subject of Bandcamp, you say they, uh, but also related. Uh, you said it was more the editorial side that got gutted. I think I remember seeing this. Yeah, I just looked up whether "nier" is a word, and <laughs> I typed it. It's like I should. I don't. I should not <laughs> type that word. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> it's it's not it. It's a different word. It is um, a word. It's it not a word. word. Well, it, it is a I word. I think it's ar- archaically, you yeah. Know, you could say nigh. One thing could nighest. be more nigh than another. Yes, it, yes, it so, could be nearer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If a thing can be nearer, it can be nigher. Yeah. Um, uh, and I don't see any problem with that. Uh, yeah. No, you said it was the editorial team uh, for Bandcamp that got gutted. Yeah, yeah. You know, people were complaining about it on Twitter and. You know the the usual people that got laid yeah. off, bitter recriminations. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, and who can blame them? No, no, no one can blame um, them. I I didn't. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I, uh, I wasn't. Occasionally, when I clicked over to one of Bandcamp's uh, articles, I found it interesting and well written. But I, yeah, I'm sure they put out good stuff that I didn't ever read because no. uh, I'm sorry, I should have. Um, but uh, yeah. No, that just speaks to, I mean, you know, I bet that that got set up at the heyday. This is speculation that I could easily confirm or disconfirm. But to theorize Mm -hmm. in service of a larger point, um, 
uh, I bet that got set up, you know, sometime while digital media was on the rise up in the last 10 to 15 years. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, whenever it was sort of doing land grab stuff in that realm before the shakeout. And then when the shakeout comes, it's pretty easy to look at that and be like, hmm, there is approximately zero revenue we can uh, firmly attach to this activity that is a whole bunch of headcount. Uh, as compared to selling tracks, which definitely brings in money. And uh, it's really sad, but um, uh, they they never stood a chance, you know. No, no, certainly in, uh, in, in retrospect, uh, there was absolutely uh, no yeah. chance that they would persevere. Yeah, these are the kinds of things that... Uh, when everybody needs a new project to show that they're growing the company, get built. Yeah. And then when everybody needs a project to uh, uh, free up some budget, uh, they get cut. Yes. Um... And again, it sucks. I wish that um, our corporations would forever uh, donate yeah. some of their operating income towards producing uh, cultural criticism uh, at a high caliber. That would be awesome. I would take that money. Um, yes. But, you know. We haven't been given the opportunity free. to, but we're here yeah. to take it. <laughs> uh, I should you know, say, on certain terms. I'm, I'm not selling my whole soul. I should say, say today we, the reason we are potting today is that um, in somehow uh, we have reached the point where uh, the uh, bitch from A Devil Wears Prada has destroyed Pitchfork. <laughs> that actually happened. You know, honestly, when you put it that way, it's very funny that that's the person who did it. It is. Anna went to her sunglasses on, uh, telling uh, most of Pitchfork that they lost their jobs. Um, uh-huh. That's what these hipsters deserve. That's what hipsters like us deserve, although we're slightly different than them, and we have avoided uh, that kind of fate. Uh, it, it is. It is the hipsters... Uh, chosen yeah. demise. Yeah, I uh, I actually feel a lot of solidarity with Pitchfork out of this. This got me hot, Joe. Okay, well, uh, why don't you uh, go off, Queen? I'm a... <laughs> I will. Well, okay. So I mean, yeah, you alluded to the fact that we've had our differences with Pitchfork, and in fact, a significant portion of our um, little listen to content is uh, uh, bitching about Pitchfork. Mm-hmm which I enjoy yeah, um, or did uh, while I could. Um, maybe still we'll be able to. Maybe still. like Maybe. We'll see. Uh, uh, obviously, they're in a transitional period, but early mm. returns are not promising. Um, uh, but, you know, um, and we complained about the philosophical changes in the place, but I will say that even as they went pop, uh, Pitchfork went pop, even as they did that, they at least hewed to an ethos of uh, uh, the idea that some music is uh, more interesting than other music for reasons that are uh, not related purely to popularity. Um, Even the pop that they celebrated was not just any pop. Uh, They had some discretion, some taste um, that I, you know, to the extent that I pay attention to pop more or less, uh, you know, didn't find totally crazy. It made sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, yeah, what sucks is to see um, that spirit just uh, axed down, um, uh, especially because this really had become an institution. Like for you and me, this was uh, pretty much the formative publication of my cultural life. Yeah, um, in terms of criticism. Well, that's uh, I was, nothing compares. I was going to say uh, maybe get into um, what's the story of Pitchfork in your life. Yeah, um, I don't. I can't quite place when I first heard about it. Mm-hmm. I don't. It might even have been in high school, but I can't remember. Uh, we graduated in two thousand, so Pitchfork did exist and had for a few years. It did exist. Definitely, then. it was. Huh? It did exist then. Yeah, yeah. And I was reading random weirdo articles wherever I could find them about like the Smashing Pumpkins and Radiohead during that time. Um, and it's conceivable I found something about some of the, you know, them or some other bands on Pitchfork. Um, certainly by early in college, I, uh, was encountering it because 
Um, definitely in 2001, when they named Interpol the best record of the year, I was aware of that as it happened. Yes. Um, yeah. And the previous year was Kid A and Modest Mouse, The Moon in Antarctica, which I wasn't into Modest Mouse yet, but I was into Radiohead. And so I think I, I'm pretty sure I knew about that. I'm pretty sure I read their review like when it came out. Yeah, and I, I believe I read news about it, their release, you yeah. know, and, and the various how it was going to be played the night before on MTV2 and, and all that. Uh, yep. I recall reading that on Pitchfork. Yeah. And, um, you know, even as at the time, you know, there was plenty to be annoyed about in their reviews. I remember uh, finding uh, just the the one th- the one of the main things I remember disagreeing with them about early on was like uh, uh, when I spent my hard earned cash on Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot because they gave it a ten, and then I was like, this is okay. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And there were lots of annoying writers they had. There's this guy Brent De who's probably still. Uh, notorious among some among indie people of our age who read Pitchfork Mm -hmm. um, who did really weird over the top uh, uh, concept reviews the one for uh, the pitch the Nine Inch Nails double album was uh, particularly memorable and probably deserved (laughs) Uh, but uh, uh, and some of those things were ridiculous and uh, clearly pretentious at the time uh, a lot of their stuff was clearly pretentious at the time. Another early classic of Pitchfork was David Cross, the comedian, uh, wrote a guest post um, where he highlighted the 10 most pretentious moments in Pitchfork history or something like that. Um, and I knew he when I saw the headline, he would pick the one from their review of the Arcade Fire's first album, and then he did. Because um, I remember how I need pretentious to reread this, that review. <laughs> this list. Yeah, it's, it's very good. We might want to pull it up. Uh, further on in the episode yeah as a memoir as a memoir <laughs> as a as a, a tribute to what early pitchfork was about yeah um, um huh it's it's interesting to think back on it uh something i was thinking about reading news on that site and i, I have a very strong sense memory of the the news being in the bottom left corner of the homepage and mm-hmm. sort of sequestered there as like a secondary part. And of course the news yeah. eventually rose to the top to where even the reviews would not be, you know, above the fold when you, when you loaded the page. Um, yeah. You used to have that nice thick meaty column. And I believe at one point a three column design. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing I was going to bring up is the incredible design of uh, pre-Web 2.0 Pitchfork, yes. which rocked. Well, and and the thing is that what all of this is um, brings up to me is that the reviews used to be the news, like what Pitchfork said about about an album, like why they said it, what review they, what number they gave it, like they made the news doing that, and that is was. It's yeah. Diff- it's almost difficult to get yourself back into the headspace where it's not some article about this band, some like post about their up. You know, they posted a new video. It was like the actual review of their album that was the central thing of it. Yeah. Um, I just sent you an image of the pitchfork design, by the way. Nice. Um, yeah. I can't. It's painful point. to look at. It's so beautiful. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, I remember they went. This doesn't even have the large, um, the large album covers yet. Like that's, I yeah. forget that was later on. Yeah. No oh, man, it's so so much beautiful tiny text. They had like the whole week's worth of reviews. You could see them all, just like a list. Yes. Uh, yes, all of them. Better. Wow, things were better. <laughs> they were so much better. You could even almost mobilize this design, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just make it tabs at the t- at the top of the three columns, and you're good. People don't have the attention span for this anymore. It's sad. Oh. Anyway, so so. Pitchfork has this role in your life in college. Same in my same with for me, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean. Like, yeah, with, at the end of the year, when I read their top 25 or how I started top 20 or something, top 50 list, 
uh, I would try out everything I didn't already know about and you know yeah learned about a lot of great stuff that way like a ton and the songs too the tracks yeah uh, lists I don't think I like paid much attention to Sufjan until I saw that he got like number three for Michigan yeah I was like what is this album about Michigan that's that's how that's got got me to listen to it Um, yeah I was like what is this dumb guy with this dumb name and this completely herb ass looking album cover yeah uh, about a state and back then you knew uh you knew it would be uh interesting worth listening to um i think that um even if it ended up being not your flavor um you know when pitchfork started uh it if you think 1997 really is the year that um you know alternative rock started to crater in popularity and uh, there's still a ton of incredible rock music being made and you know other things mm-hmm. were happening in terms of like mp3 blogs and and trading were were going on and eventually napster and everything but still uh, the pitchfork was the spot for rock music um mm-hmm. and really only rock music or you know 90 percent. they had some hip-hop and stuff they did they did um yeah <clears throat> yeah they did like missy elliott is on this cover that i'm looking at right here yeah yes but it, it was dog. a a rock flavored uh uh yeah rock centric publication they even they even reviewed a Mandy Moore track. I bet they didn't say it was awesome. Maybe they did. <laughs> Who knows? They well, some. they loved to, to apply their pretentiousness to all all yes. people. Um, which they quit yeah. doing. It's hard to get ahead of yourself and to not get ahead of yourself and um, discuss how totally. they would treat Mandy Moore now. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, its role, yeah. I, I think it's interesting that even back when it started, like, I was not agreeing with everything they said about, like, right. rock music or, like, the albums I liked. That it was actually, like, again, part of this discussion going on. And it was the only place to have co- that conversation um, nat- once the mainstream started, like, ignoring indie rock. Or at least from my perception, they were ignoring it. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is how how I began to feel, you know, starting in the late '90s, um, when alternative like rock radio started to suck, and yeah, uh, it was all boy bands. Yes. Uh, um, and you know the interesting thing, maybe maybe you uh, did you have more to say? Sorry, I no, no, go ahead. Play off that. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that feeling of having that one spot is also interesting, because and and the, the reason I think you or at least in my case, I disagreed with uh, it, uh, you know, somewhat uh, intentionally was like, if you're, if you're reading this one site all the time, you feel, or at least I feel again, uh, a, uh, a, a sort of anxiety of influence, um, you know, a terror that maybe you're just uh, being a puppet of pitchfork. So I'm always looking for uh, what, things to disagree with, or, um, you know, if I, fi- if they, I find something that I do disagree with, uh, I'm really ha- uh, secretly kind of happy about it because it means uh, I am independent of the pitchfork hive mind and so forth. Um, and, you know, I do that with everything. But with, uh, again, with a publication that is uh, something that I went back to for, you know, uh, almost a quarter of a century. Um, and, you know, hopefully maybe you still will. Um, yeah. God, I remember reading some of the reviews on this page. Um, it's uh, it's uh, just really um, it it creates a certain kind of relationship. Sorry to sum up. It's been a long distracted. time. Yeah, you're right. It's been a long time, a quarter century. Yeah. I mean, it has been uh, the primary source of music criticism. Uh, for people who think like us, like when I yes. when I try to tell people what our podcast is about, I say, uh, I say, have you heard of Pitchfork? Because if they have, then I can say it's that kind of music. Yeah, um, and right. usually they haven't though. Right, <laughs> right. That's the interesting thing. I mean, you know, where Pitchfork ended up. Like, uh, I I don't really have a perception of how well they, um. I'm jumping ahead here, but if we look at Pitchfork in its end state now, where um, mm-hmm. you know one of the uh, people that was laid off was like, you know, we uh, 
we did a great job like demanifying it or something yes, like that. Yes, that one was that yeah. was a great quote. <clears throat> and um and they did. I mean from an editorial from the you know a, a content perspective, they they absolutely did. I mean they they got away from um you know a very male male type of pretentiousness. <laughs> yeah, admit. beardy indie guy music. Yeah. Um, but As I, they used to say. What I don't know is whether they ever got a new audience to go along with that. Like, I don't know if they yeah. ever did the other half. I don't really think that the, like, Gen Z or young millennial women I know, like, rock. Like, I think most of them would know what Pitchfork is, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not sure that it, like... I don't have a bunch of them coming up to me asking about what I thought about that 7.2 that somebody got. That <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I highly doubt they are sharing that among themselves, uh, which may not be totally Pitchfork's fault. That may just, you know, not be yeah. the, what people communicate about or how they communicate it anymore. Uh, well, I think that's the thing that's really happening that's also sad. Of course, um, yes. That's ultimately really sad. Um is that maybe Pitchfork died. Like, like okay, so approximately Pitchfork... Um, okay, so when I say died, uh, you know, obviously they fired uh, a bunch of people. Uh, yeah. They gutted it. The editor-in-chief. So that's bad. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the right, the news, like the news team, like the people who... The guy... the Actually, I think it was the yeah. guy who wrote the, like, Win Butler article. Uh, yeah, but also some of their died. main, like, uh, music review people, too. Yes. Since... Now, again, it's been less than a week. Uh, it's been like three or four publishing days. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, they haven't posted more than two reviews in a day. Um, yeah. And they've been of more like, you know, indie-ish but mainstream type of acts. Yeah. Um, some of which are good and some of which are boring. Um, and uh, so maybe, you know, it'll kick back up. But, you know, we mentioned the the decline of the reviews section. So, you know, again, if you look at this screenshot, we should post this if, with the article, with the, uh, the podcast, if we can, there are at least five reviews a day. Um, yes. Back then. And that was the standard for a long time. There were five reviews every day on pitchfork. I think they even put up fucking four on Saturdays. Um, and maybe I th- Sunday might've been off for a while. They might've always done one, but they made them special, more special later. Anyway. So it was like, uh, a fuckload of reviews every yes. week. Like we're 40 ish. Um, uh, almost, you know, over 30 and, um, uh, or maybe approaching 30. Sorry. I've kids. I'm good at math. I swear. Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, so then I forget when, but some years back it went down to four per day, um, as the standard. And then Saturday eventually became like, you know, two or one, um and sunday became just one for sure and then you know for the past year two three i don't know maybe since the pandemic it went down to like um four some days three other days Mm. maybe just two some days and i know this because i was going through all these as i've detailed in previous episodes catching up with every single album that they reviewed just to you know listen to at least one track yeah and i was quite aware of how many reviews I was getting per day as I went through that process. Um, well, and, uh, yeah. Huh? I mean, they, their business model, like that used to be a, uh, to provide that much high quality content to sell ads, uh, yeah. next to used to be, um, a very smart way to do business on the internet. Yeah. Um, no longer. <laughs> Yeah, well, and they shifted, as everybody did, into, you know, what's called the aggregator model that uh, you certainly know much about. Indeed. Um, And for our audience, if they uh, are not familiar with the term, aggregation is a a blogging technique, you might call it, wherein uh, you write for, you know, essentially, well, I guess any level of blog, good or, uh, you know, popular or not. Um, And rather than coming up with uh, new thoughts or research or anything uh, you you know listen to somebody else's podcast or read their blog post or article and you condense it down add um, a joke or two varying in quality from 
you know, internet funny to just dog shit. Um, and then you link to the thing and then you hope that, uh, then you hope that the, uh, you happen to be the link that goes viral on, uh, the social media networks and, or gets picked up by Google. Um, and so you become a completely useless, uh, siphoning gateway on the way to the actual content that is of any interest. I mean, now the aggregation can be done somewhat honorably and you can, add a little bit of context if you, you know, do it well, but <laughs> yeah, it's not what usually happened. No. <laughs> um, uh, and I remember, you know, uh, reading, sorry, I'm yakking a lot. So interrupt me if you want. Ah, that's all but, right. Um, yeah. I remember reading, uh, Tim, Met- uh, Marchman, not Tim Meadows, uh, of SNL fame, Tim Marchman, uh, former deputy editor and then editor of Deadspin, um, when they were really at their best and I was reading them every day and I, guy who's writing, I like a lot, you know, substacks about tinned fish um but uh he um uh he talked about uh you know explicitly like on deadspin in some article or comment somewhere uh about how that's the model like uh aggregation is what gets the views and gets the uh, impressions up on all the advertising and pays all the bills and that allows them to do all the uh uh, cool investigative stuff and, you know, um, in-depth opinion things, uh, and, you know, just provide all the generally good creative content that the blog does that people like I, uh, like to read, but actually, you know, there aren't enough people like me to, uh, support, you know, 30 reviews a week or, uh, the whole blog. What they need is the mass eyeballs of people who are just looking for, you know, a football player getting hit in the dick with the ball. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> you know, hoping that they're the viral one. And then Pitchfork, same thing. They got to, you know, when uh, Megan Thee Stallion gets shot by Tory Lanez, you know, they're they're got an angle to be the conduit through which Internet traffic flows to that uh, news story. Right. And indeed, trading on a slowly depleting um, stash of cultural um, uh credit and capital earned through all these years of posting uh, five reviews a day where people thought they were a a smart, unbiased source of this kind of news, Um, which, I mean, I don't really have a way to judge that, but I mean, I I thought even the quality of their aggregation kind of uh, dwindled. Yeah. And the quality of the reviews dwindled too. Like they were clearly using, you know, people trying to break into the industry for like the fourth review on a lot of days. If you read, plenty just you know start reading random ones towards the end of the daily list uh from their archives in the past few years you'll find some you know pretty hacky writing um yeah that doesn't but, say much about the, the albums yeah yes and a lot of times you'll then go to the band camp for the album and you'll read a lot of what's in that review in the pr copy uh yeah. by the publicist um and uh you know so it be but at the same time um they served the function that I use them for as an integral part of my music listening on a daily basis for this podcast and for myself for the past over 10 years, which was using them as a discovery content conduit towards music. I, you know, am not going to hear yes. about in either way. Yes. They were tremendously valuable to us, to the bands. I mean, we talked about yes. Sufjan. I mean, he's got to be one of, you know, artists in the hundreds who, owe. um, various levels of breakthrough to positive review on pitchfork attention from pitchfork uh you know mm-hmm. discussion by their writers there and other places uh their staff writers um i think that uh a lot of i think arcade fire is a band uh, that that review was one of the things that uh, solidified oh, yeah. it as uh one of the breakthrough albums of that year um, yeah, a review that I was like, this is one of the stupidest reviews I've ever read at the time. And then immediately liked the album when I listened to it. Yeah. So, there you go. Um, and uh, and also, like, I think were lack of coverage from them could be um, somewhat devastating to a band. I know that, you know, the band uh Kayatana, who we've talked about a few times they never mm. got a review on pitchfork and really didn't get talked about on there at all and i think that's one reason that particular indie band didn't uh, uh didn't take off beyond a like sort of regional fan base wait is that true 
Yeah. No, they never reviewed any of their stuff. Do I know about them only because you kept pushing them on me? Yes, I believe so. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. I you they they seemed so obviously like a pitchfork band and I heard about them from you, so I just assumed they were a pitchfork darling. No, I got um, I got really lucky really and I saw their one of their songs somewhere that I now forget where it was. I even remembered mm-hmm. once, like years later, I was like, that's where I saw it. And I took no note of it. So then I, I forgot it again. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, but um, if there were 30 reviews a week, Kaya Tanya is getting reviewed every time. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes. That's that exactly it. Um, yeah. That's the worst of, of interchange intercourse, if you will, between tastemakers, audiences and bands. Um, it's is gone it's it's severely lessened and that is yeah i think as you say like the the discovery aspect of it is um like brutal like you know know, yeah fuck just like put up the names of four albums a day like yeah no and that's literally what i use them for yeah it was awesome i loved it um and I didn't even, you know, I didn't even conclude my point. So, like, you know, we're here complaining about how we lost this thing that we think is the best thing about the site. At the same time, everything I said earlier is true, that there aren't enough of you and me to pay the bills, as far as I can tell, no. reading all these reviews. And so, as, you know, I saw the number of reviews dwindling per day, as I saw them shifting the aggregated content further and further up the fold and, you know, posting more and more of it about acts less and less related to indie, you know, like, uh, they really went hard on rapper content because God bless them. Uh, hip hop produces a lot of good stories for this kind of thing. Um, and uh, which is great. But as I saw these shifts, you know, I saw, I thought, you know, well, obviously what's happening to them is what's happening to uh, everyone else in digital publishing, including uh, Tim Marchman at Deadspin. Like I explained, you know, where he was explaining how this all works. Um, and uh, you know, they're realizing, we're basically not making money on the fifth review every day. Uh, it's not generating enough reviews. Um, uh, the the twentieth, the 25th most popular indie album every week just doesn't have that many people uh, interested in reading a review of it. Um, that's, that's a lot of albums per year. Um, and that sucks because I wish that the world did have people uh, so interested in reading those albums, uh, those reviews, that they could uh, sustain the whole thing. But I think essentially, uh, you know, th- that level of review output was living on borrowed time based on the, you know, it seems like every publication again uh, in digital media since the dot-com bubble has been slowly over and over again readjusting downwards towards a declining, shittier ad market because uh, people are uh, learning the truth that a lot of digital advertising uh, doesn't do anything. A lot of it can do stuff, but it's also t- possible to blow a whole lot of money on nothing yeah uh with it yeah and um so it's just been a sort of borrowed time thing and you could even my even more black pill doom pilled uh take is that this process has actually been going on like since uh the advent of mass newspaper publishing in like the late 19th early 20th century when (laughs) newspapers were sustained by advertising dollars that fled them for the internet and then are now fleeing the uh you know uh, publications Last, for uh, things yeah. like social media and yeah. email marketing and whatever advertising and, and classified dollars, which is kind of the yeah, same thing. exactly. Yeah. This has been a long process of awesome culture getting supported by these things and then slowly losing those uh, windfalls of money, and we're left with less awesome culture. Totally, and I, I think that um, there is a parallel. Uh, loss that I saw brought up that I want to talk about, which is that, you know, the death of Pitchfork is the, the death of a uh, a certain type of guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that guy, I mean, the guy who sees himself uh, uh, as, you know, going going to school, going to, to college, uh, taking liberal arts classes or going to, you know, being the critic on his music. Uh, on his newspaper at college, like to become a pitchfork writer or just someone like probably like you or I mm. who envisions himself a pitchfork writer like that, you know, that role uh, is, um, uh, yeah. or at least at, you could even just call it a dream. Um, 
kind of kind of dies with this because if it doesn't if you can't be that person at pitchfork uh yeah it's pretty hard to be that person anywhere else uh, oh yeah there's like no other publication doing what they yeah. do with their volume no and level of professionalism no like and, there's yeah. a there's a site the quietus i've read them they've got some good stuff but yeah. their reviews aren't that well written yeah <laughs> like it's not a high standard of editorial quality yeah that's the uh, yeah being a you know being a, a big enough being charismatic enough to be that sort of editor that also you can also be a dick about um like the drafts people yeah. send you uh it's not it's it's it takes talent yeah well especially when you're probably not paying anything you yes know? yes exactly you're also begging these people to do it at all yeah um ah uh, yeah so um yeah and that may also reflect just the general shift away from writing towards uh video and audio media yeah. uh witness us you know which I've we never published well, a written and music I mean, review. We have always, in some sense, been. I see, like, you know, positions slightly um, in opposition uh, to the pitchfork uh, guy, um, in uh-huh. that we are not like a. Uh, in a uh, paid and formal position as a critic of this mm. culture. You know, there's, I'm sure you could, you could think of a few guys on, on Twitter or whatever, back when you're on Twitter that like fit this mold of the actual pitchfork writer that was actually like chiming in with their opinion on music and, and, um, and getting paid for it versus us like not, not being paid for it and, and doing it out of a sort of, um, devotion to it. Uh, not that that's any yeah. purer. It's just a different, um, you have different masters uh, yes. than these guys. It offers a different perspective, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so I don't know. I think at the end, like, it's it's funny. I, I think getting to the point where it's like we've we've criticized Pitchfork so much that um uh, for a, a moment or two i'm like you know uh i feel victorious or whatever or like i told you so yeah about this um even though yeah. it is in you know much yeah. sadder than it is um funny yeah a little i get that impulse it. yeah go on no no that's yeah that's it yeah yeah. No, I get that impulse, but I was also immediately like, you know, I mean, I knew they were owned by Condé Nast for the past eight years or whatever. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's just there, there's a there's a, a quantum clock going once your cool indie thing is acquired by uh, profit driven corporate interests. And basically when there's a downturn, um, then uh, your indie shit is on the chopping block. So yeah. it wasn't like. I wasn't like, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. Again, because you know the the just watching the numbers of reviews told me the whole story of uh, the decline of that model. Yeah. Um, uh, just just by that, you could tell. Because um, it's not like people are putting out less music; they're putting out more music than when Pitchfork started up by probably a huge factor, considering how easy it is to publish mm-hmm. on Bandcamp now. Um, like a massively uh, greater amount of music is probably being put put out every day than in 2003. True. Um, yes. Yes. And there are um, definitely a greater number of record labels because to be a record label is a much easier thing now. Um, yeah. You know, you can. But how, how will I ever know of it? <laughs> no, no, that's it. That's it. I mean, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, do you think to an extent that Pitchfork was less able to deal I, you know, it's hard to it's hard to get in that question because the whole Condé Nast part and just the change changing economics of yeah I mean Condé Nast is just the messenger to me um yeah tr- know, yes it's, yes it's economic forces that are uh, true eating away at the idea of uh at least publishing written stuff like this you know people can probably still go viral to uh, you know you can probably have some sort of music criticism on tiktok yeah uh maybe we should be doing that um 
but that kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> if you ask me. I love fucking written articles. They're great. Yeah. Um uh I don't love fucking them. You know what I mean? Yes. Um but um God, just I keep looking at this cover. What else was I going to say? I had some point. Oh, so I did have some ideas about how to discover music. Okay. Um well then I I because you mean now go post post pitchfork. Post pitchfork, yeah. yeah. And this has to do with what you were saying just now too. Um, about not being able to be that guy at Pitchfork, the guy who gets paid to write. Because I think yeah. a lot of that critical, you know, everybody, it's not like people don't listen to music. They do. It's not like people don't make music. They do. As much or more than they ever have. Yeah. Um, and it's not like people don't want to fucking talk about the music and have opinions about it. I guarantee you uh, that instinct has not lessened one bit. No. Um, no, it has not. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting whether... Uh, they have the same relationship to uh, critical their... heuristics have surely changed. Yes, you know, because ways of yes, because there's her- hermeneutics. That's the word. word because there's actually no, there's no longer a um, this like gatekeeping of physical objects. Whether it's like, oh, you can't even listen to this. You don't know where to get it, or I'm the only one who yeah. spent my money on this. Even if you could get, you know, even though you yeah. know, and well, and. That, you know, now the buying guide function, losing that really hurts a pitchfork for sure. Yeah. And and um, they all these things like they stopped being, uh, you know, a publication that 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 makes taste. They just were confirming the taste that was yeah. held through all these other um, more popular channels. And I mean, that's that's I think they were trying to. Uh, Ooh. Uh, keep the money going that way <laughs> that's actually okay so there you got a little uh that's some that's a darker uh take than i had but i see what you're saying because <laughs> certainly like when they're suddenly you know uh who was somebody who's pretty pop that they just you know were all over like i don't know just beyonce let's say yeah that's our classic example um no, no uh uh or solange yeah yeah that's another one yeah but like people that we that I think are great at what they do. It's not exactly my thing. I actually think, you know, if you think Beyonce is one of the, the all-time great musicians in the pop mode, I have no disagreement with that at all. Um, but I see what you're saying. Like, them becoming suddenly, like, big champions of that kind of music where they hadn't really given a shit about it before. They might, you know, talk yeah. about Beyonce. Like, this is a great song. Uh, but becoming, you know, sort of, like, somewhat... Uh, uh, proselytizing about it um, is a reflection of yeah the attempt to get clout by uh, signing on with what a lot of people like. Is that what you're saying? Have I understood? Oh yeah, no, no. That is that is definitely um, yeah yeah where we're going there. It's like they had to um, you know basically I think by the end uh, agree with TikTok or die. Um, because yeah. that's, they were searching, you know, whether they were, you know, yes. connecting with that audience or not, they were certainly searching for it and had this, you know, staffed in a way that, uh, yeah. Okay. Now I'm seeing your thesis about how we are in opposition um, to them because and, we, we yeah. don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. We don't, we yeah. don't have to give a shit. Like we don't need yeah. to, um, yeah. Uh, but in return, the question is, does anybody give a shit about us? Well, no, no. But that's, you know, that is, that's the price. No, I'm, I'm not, that's, I mean that to be somewhat deep, actually. Like, you know, that's the trade-off. If, you're, if you refuse to, uh, yeah. if, you, if you persist in your own taste uh, too, so resolutely, you know, you're not going to have as many people interested in what you have to say, which is fair. Yeah. I personally like people with their weird idiosyncratic taste. Well, and, and you can um, then kind of get into the, the question of... Why is it that important to tell, you know, eight, 8,000 people about your taste versus like, you know, 10? Like, uh, yeah. is it, you know, are you that, uh, do you need to have that sort of one-sided conversation with a larger audience that. Uh, well, and this, you know. okay. The, God, this, this conversation is great. It keeps coming back to where I was trying to go. <laughs> um, yes. So now that there's no, uh, pitch for guy. Yeah. Uh, job. Um, I think a lot of that is because, you know, people aren't turning to that pitchfork guy as much because they have uh, other outlets, particularly um, social media. And, you know, Reddit is honestly probably 
uh, perfect for a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it has its own pathologies that are different from the professional uh, corporate or independent uh, media corporation or media operation. Uh, But um, uh, that's probably where a lot of that instinct goes. Because like I was saying, people still definitely want to have opinions. They want to hear other people's opinions just so that they can, uh, you know, uh, it's not satisfying to sit there and listen to some album uh, ju- just for you that you never tell anybody else uh, as much as when you talk to your friend and you get them to agree like, holy shit, that rocks. Um, that's why we talk about music. That's like why we're friends, Joe. Yes. Uh, because we like doing that. True. Um, and uh, uh, so I think a lot of that has gone to places like Reddit. And so I went to Indie Heads and I was like, okay, how could I use Indie Heads? the subreddit on uh for indie music or the main one the big one of the big ones mm-hmm. to find music um they do have the fresh album tag and you can search the the subreddit and restrict it to the past week so you're sort of just looking at a manageable chunk yeah. of stuff that's come in uh so far i've tried that i found gordy that way so i'm going to give credit to that cool. um they've got slater kenny at the top uh, which I listened to the first track from the new Slater Kinney album and it actually fucking rocks. So that's fair. Um, and then I listened to a couple others and I thought they kind of sucked, but that's also the pitchfork experience. So I'm going to report back on our next episode about this or any other methods I come up with to try to find new weird music. Nice. Um, yeah. I, um, yeah. Um, you know, actually is an interesting, uh, relevant exercise uh, looking at um uh i just sent out my annual uh new year's uh yeah. mix that i send to people mp3 mix um with songs i discovered the previous they don't have to have been been come out the previous year but just discovered and looking at that because where they come from um you know the majority of them come from uh, me having heard them on Sirius XMU, um, which is like, it's the indie indie rock station on Sirius XM, for those of you who don't know. Yeah. And there are like Jenny Ellescu, the head DJ on there is a, was a uh, writer, music writer in the aughts or in like kind uh-huh. of, I don't know. But anyway, the point is it's, that's one place that the, that sort of um, that I get by i get yeah. probably more of these songs came from me seeing it there than pitchfork i think maybe like six or seven from that like two or three are from pitchfork um you know just and yeah i've known that reviews. about your discovery habits and been uh yeah. pleased that we were not doing it the exact same way yes uh, yes at um, least some difference yeah and then you know a, uh, at least one of these was from uh you know twitter serving me up someone saying, Hey, what was your favorite song this year? And I just going through what people mentioned there. Um, you know, as long as you're in the right place in the algorithm, you, you will find other people like you who have kind of dug through this stuff. Um, that's how I found this, uh, album by Greg Mendez, who's kind of an Mm -hmm. indie singer songwriter. Um, nice. Yeah. So that's it. I mean, you know, that's, uh, you know, pitchfork was, um, uh, at least one of a couple places I found it. So that there are still people, but you know, the Sirius XM has its flaws in terms of, uh, as we've discussed, they all, there's a very specific tempo they go for. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's very, it's, it's, it's like family friendly indie rock. Yes. Uh, and they, you know, have their, uh, their favorites like anybody else. So, sure. Um, yeah. And like, you, you know, better, you better uh, like I can already tell kills if you listen to, yeah, <laughs> I can already tell Indie Heads has its uh, certain tastes, and I'm sure I'll diagnose them more specifically as I keep as I dig in further. But 2.8 million members can't be wrong uh, about what the good indie is. And you know, again, that speaks to like it's not like like this kind of music is dead. It's just uh, a certain kind of uh, uh, cultural shelling point, to use a fancy term. Uh, a way of organizing people around uh, these things is uh, much mutilated, if not dead. You um, you could say. Do you think they'll still do the festival? I have no idea. 
probably probably that's one of those things that'll dwindle you know yeah. uh but i mean festivals are popping off they can't get true. enough fucking indie festivals they could very the well you know gq needs a music festival so you know it'll yeah be the pitch now fork, they can bring all those guys there. gq <laughs> fest yeah. uh Ugh. yeah uh, like I, I have neutral feelings towards GQ, but God, Pitchfork under GQ. I mean, in so a absurd. typical corporate thing, like the problem is the people who at Pitchfork that run the festival will get fired, and Condé ah, Nast true. will say, "Yeah, GQ's like events team that runs like a fashion yes. show or something will be able to run Pitchfork. They'll figure it out." Yeah. Um, and then the chain smokers will be like head le- leading one of the days. Yeah, or you know, if there's even enough toilets there or whatever. But um Yeah. Yes. Also that. Yes. <laughs> uh that um well, where are we going before that? Um uh sorry. Um pitchfork. <laughs> too many uh, too many the, pitchfork the threads. <laughs> yeah. Too many pitchfork threads in, in our heads here. Um, exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No. So, I mean, I guess if I had a final thought, I think Mm -hmm. I've said everything I mainly wanted to say. I'm sure I forgot one or two things. Um, you know, just like the day after the announcement got made, um, when everybody on Twitter was getting really mad, uh, again, as I, you know, you're right to mention the bitterness because it is sometimes a little bit like shrieky, but I don't blame them at all. Uh, and it sucks to lose a job. I can tell you that. Yeah. Um, so hard. Uh, so all, all power to them. Uh, I hope they get to write. I hope something, I hope I'm totally wrong about everything and they get to write uh, beautiful music criticism forever. Yes. But, um, yeah, just seeing that particular type of, well, yeah, that's what it was. Type of way of organizing around yes. the idea of being into good music, seeing it die in a way that I think, like I, it's kind of nice to have an authoritative voice. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, it, to to either agree with or rail against. It's it's nice to have some point to point at and be like, okay, you know, indie gets this right and this wrong. Um, but now that it's like, it's hard to say what's out there and who's doing what. Yeah. Even if it was fake. Even if Pitchfork wasn't what uh, everybody was thinking and didn't represent people. At least there was something to, uh you know, just be mad or excited about well, and losing that. I was legitimately bummed out. Yes. After it happened. I was super upset uh, I mean, sitting there at my desk at work. Part of the, uh, part of the fundamental deal of pitchfork is that you like cared enough that when they got something wrong, you could be like, fuck you. Like you guys. Yeah. These and that's the spirit of criticism. Like yeah, they're criticizing music. Awesome. We're criticizing criticism. You should yeah. do that. Yeah. They also got away from, you know, in that, that, aspect of it is another thing that was dying even prior to this like you know that it had any sort of bold takes on any of this uh yeah well i mean they were so unbold they would started revising their previous (laughs) review scores based on we've just and we've discussed whether it was still cool yes yes trying to yeah there was certain people we we can't have high scores on the uh, for their crimes yeah, certain people who have very weirdly named children from a guy who owns Twitter. Yes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, my my concluding thought is uh, that maybe this is the end of an... Uh, we were more in a, an era of music than than we thought when it came to yes uh, indie rock uh, and its um, its importance in a more fractured culture. But um, you know, we're kind of uh, I'm suspicious of what's what remains after the '90s revival uh, going yeah. on now, and uh, maybe that's that's part of it. There's those those dudes are not uh, as much of an economical force anymore. Yeah, and I guess that, thank you, that reminds me of one other thought I had that I think I mentioned to you. Looking back now, I just had the thought, this is a, uh, uh, this is a, a rough analysis that mm-hmm. I could refine. But looking back is like, you know, Nirvana to, you know, roughly 20 years after that. Uh, you know, is that like the actual, 
long peak of underground music um, having being a, a, a viable commercial force enough to create sort of a, a wider cultural imprint. Am I being too dramatic about that? Because I, I, the reason I would date it that way is obviously, you know, with Nirvana coming up, that's when we all think of uh, the mainstream really trying to uh, get whatever, you know, <laughs> kill slash uh, uh, rape slash uh, support indie culture. Um, and obviously it faded somewhat, as we were saying, in the late 90s, but it kept going. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of stuff going on in the mid-2000s. Uh, it's in movie soundtracks and TV soundtracks and stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, Twilight for is all indie music. Um, yeah. Well, yes. But then, yeah, and Pitchfork is going strong through all that. It's enough of yeah. a force, enough of a thing that there are, like, there are major stereotypes about hipster dipshit guys who like Pitchfork too much, like us. Yeah. Um, as a super big part of the culture. I and mean, then I feel like this, some of that stuff starts to sort of fade around 2012, like when Pitchfork stops being able to be that, you know, sort of it, just indie guy type of thing and has to embrace the broader pop culture, as you said. Yeah. Um, yeah. And is that a ref- is this just the end point of that slow final loss? Uh, you know, maybe you yeah. wanted to say it was a huge peak in 92 that slowly faded or there was a long peak that started to die 10 ish years ago. I don't know. These are all just, these are rough thoughts. I would say that there was a period of time when that music was uh, your uh, kind of opening, your invitation to a, like a high value audience that we were part of Mm -hmm. that like uh, Twilight, for instance, was like, Hey, we want the people who like indie rock to, you know, see this movie. Like we're trying to get those people in or that's like, you know, who we think is going to spend a lot of money here. And, and I don't know, cultural institutions like NPR, you know, in the two, mm-hmm. th- in like 2010, there was a lot more excitement about, I don't know, the new indie rock bands. Cause there was a feeling they were going to be very like more important because the people who liked them were kind of this central audience. And now, yeah, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it is, there is some sort of end there and maybe it's part of it is that, you know, yeah. inevitably, like the rock we like is going to start. Be, uh, there are going to be fewer bands that are seen as representative of it. You know, it'll get it'll start to yeah. get like kind of condense. Uh, yes. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Or maybe there's still 2.8 million members of indie heads and like, you know, yeah, the people are around. True. Yes. Big. Well, yes, that's not a lot. That's, I mean, <laughs> it's not really that many people. <laughs> it's not. I mean, I guess that's the point. Like yeah. maybe it's. This is all hard to do because it's all with numbers that are so big that they don't mean anything, even if one number to to a human to you trying to put together, even if one thing dwarfs another. Like yeah. two point eight million members of indie heads sounds like a ton, especially when you consider these are the people who bother to go on Reddit to talk about this shit. Um, but yeah, compared to the number of people who listen to Taylor Swift, yeah. is not a ton of music people at all. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I, and who knows what we're even complaining about? They're still yeah. making any music. I just want to be able to find out about it and have a way to um, to organize the narrative of music uh, of good music in my head. Which having a thing like Pitchfork and its fucking lists really helps. That's another thing they really helped me with. Their lists of best albums from the '70s and '80s and yes. '90s. I discovered so much shit from previous generations that I did not know about yep. from that. Yeah. Um, like set many albums I know uh, that I'm into are be- specifically because of those lists they put out. It's yeah. Super helpful way to get into awesome music from prior. prior I, gotta go, I gotta look at those lists again. Um, yeah, well, a lot of them have been they've replaced them with updated ones that suck dick compared to the. Yeah, original, you have to go find uh, the archive of the old one. Yeah, exactly. The original one where that like I think one, at least one of them has like a disclaimer at the top like we are not these people anymore. Oh my god. Yes. Um, it's the night yeah. i think it's because like my bloody valentine was too high up in the 90s or something like that yeah. um. Uh, um well you know so the, there's the pitchfork experience encapsulated once again of like these guys were so important and just fuck them yes. um <laughs> uh fewer fewer and fewer people uh of our age and and time like care about new music that is but here we are yeah fighting the the uh the good fight 
uh, yep. against yep. the Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> <laughs> With her fucking sunglasses on. Yeah. <laughs> she hasn't fired me yet, you know, that's all I'm saying. She can't, she she can't fire who? me. She hasn't fired me yet. She can't no. fire me. No, she can't. She could probably buy you and sell you, but. Eh, you know. Um. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, R.I.P. It seems at least Pitchfork. If they're not dead, if they keep putting out, you know, the kind of stuff we want to see, then great. We'll have a celebratory podcast about how wrong we were. But it's not looking great. It's not. That's why we're starting the HTML Savage Beast. That's the other thing I was going to say, Joe. Should it's, can we capitalize on this? Can we? Can we? If enslave we, young yeah. writers to uh to <laughs> ponderously uh, uh talk about you know a hundred gex <laughs> well we've we've already been canceled for for talking about enslaving them so <laughs> oh shit fuck <laughs> we could no we're restarting pitchfork as reactionary indie white guys oh there you um, go yeah as we have always been yeah um this could be just a moment of schism. Then all the poptimist uh, other people can uh, start their own website, and um, then we can, we'll, you know, never mind. We'll riff on the. We'll riff on. I the, was in no way part of Pitchfork, so it doesn't really work. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, other yeah. than other than giving them a lot of page views to the deep archives of their album reviews of the last several years, we will riff on the uh, you know post-apocalyptic versions of Pitchfork. Uh, yes yeah that's the other thing there may be zombie versions that come out that happened with deadspin when it got killed that'll be interesting to follow yeah it could work it could work uh all right right. let's wrap it joe this is this may be our most i don't know maybe the one with where prince and david bowie had died was more depressing but that's true yes that the david bowie one was really really dark uh yeah but um yeah no it's it's dark days for uh hipsters it is <sighs> like like Man. review and view, review us on spotify exactly no i honestly I, I just got the feeling again i have an emptiness in my heart when i think about not being able to go look at what dumbass scores are on pitchfork anymore yeah uh man all right good night joe good, good night Oops. <laughs>